The big question is, how does someone with MS actually improve their mobility, strength, energy, independence, the list goes on. My name is Dr. Gretchen Hawley, physical therapist and multiple sclerosis specialist. Welcome to the Missing Link Podcast. Tune in as I share the top strategies and exercises to help you gain control over your life with MS using research-driven insights and advice from top industry experts. Whether you're newly diagnosed or have had MS for over 30 years, whether you have relapsing MS or progressive MS, this podcast is for you. You're sure to feel empowered and inspired after each episode. Ready? Let's dive in. Welcome. Thank you for tuning in today. One of my favorite parts about being a physical therapist who specializes in multiple sclerosis is the brainstorming and creativity required for each individual client. Picking which exercises might be best for them, finding modifications and advancements, and also answering their questions. So I wanted to carry that over into my podcast. Today, I have Missing Link member Jeanette with me to ask me some of her questions. Jeanette's questions revolve around spasticity, stretching, neuroplasticity, and walking on uneven surfaces. Jeanette, thank you so much for being here with us today. I am really excited to listen to your questions, but before we do that, do you mind if I ask you a question from my interview deck to help our listeners get to know you a little better? Sure. Awesome. Okay. So shuffling. All right. Your question is, if you were a bartender, which famous person would you like to serve? Oh my goodness. Um, um, who would I serve? I think Tom Cruise. Remember that movie he did where he was the bartender? Oh, Tom Cruise. there you go. <laughs> I like that. Bartend and throw the, the drinks up and all. Yeah, I actually have a friend who's a mixologist and it's like oh, a real cool. science. Yeah, it's like the shaking and the adding of the ingredients. I am definitely not a mixologist, but it looks Me so either, cool. Yeah, it'd be cool to see. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so before we dive into your questions, can you give our listeners a little bit of just what your experience has been so far as a member of The Missing Link? I've done The Missing Link quite a while now, I came in and I have multiple sclerosis, primary progressive multiple sclerosis. And during my treatments, um, I was seven years using Rebif, which I thought was great because I was working, I had kids and I could just give myself this intravenous shot and you know, keep on going. But then as time progressed, all of a sudden, um, both my legs became contracted. And so that made um, the world very different um, because yes. then I ended up in the hospital and rehab and then finally assisted living, but still my legs contracted. You know, if your legs are contracted, you can't get up. So you're bedridden and all. So it just, you know, it just changed life completely. And then finally, um, I was in Sunrise Senior Living, so I was a good 45 years younger than everybody else there. So I was so happy when I finally got out. And what was being done was they had wanted to do this baclofen pump, which had been surgery, 
And really, I was afraid. <laughs> so I didn't want that. So they said the other option was to do Botox in the legs to see if that would help release it. And at first, it didn't work at all. Uh, my legs weren't, you know, moving at all. But then I started the missing link. And in doing that, the first episode, or the first, first part of it is the stretching. So what really helped me was identifying each muscle because you start with the foot, ankle, and up. So when I can identify that in combination with the Botox, it helped stretching out my legs. So then, um, how long did it take? Um, it wasn't immediate. Um, it took a while. So that took about a year, probably a little over a year. So then I got to the point where my legs were straight, pretty much. My right leg is completely straight. And my left leg was straight enough to walk. So I was happy with that. Amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was. It was amazing. And so now it was so amazing. Now I'm off of Botox. Yay. Yay. So that's I amazing. I know. It's, I said it's really, really amazing. I'm very thankful. Um, you know, I told my um, neurologist all about the program and all. So now I do another medicine, but just to help my walking. But, you know, the missing link really, really helped. I'm so um, glad to hear that. That's my story. So I want to thank you. <laughs> so I tell everybody about it. Yeah. Um, but it's amazing just isolating those muscles, giving time to um, have your body focus on that really helped. It helped more than the Botox. Wow. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. A lot of, if not all of the exercises in the missing link focus on a specific muscle group because yeah. each often, muscle you need to walk. Yes. And for me, each muscle that I needed to straighten my legs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And a lot of the exercises floating out there in the world are for multiple muscle groups all at once. And so it's yeah. really easy to overcompensate with other yeah. muscles that are already stronger or looser yeah, and you don't yeah. get to the root of the problem right yes because yeah, i've had um went to many therapists you know in-person therapy and all and it just wasn't working finally your program worked so i thank you very much <laughs> of course i'm so glad to hear that okay so let's get into your questions what's your first question for me i guess my question is like i say my left leg isn't completely straight and so I don't want to go back to um, Botox. Do you think that just continuing with your exercises will eventually straighten it? The um, neurologist thought maybe the one leg won't be completely straight and I'd have to live with it. And I'd be fine because I can walk now. Right. That's a really great question. So I would... I have two answers. My first answer is definitely continue because clearly what you're doing is working. Yeah. It might just be taking a little bit longer. So the first part of my answer is just to say, yes, continue. You're on the right this, path. The left leg was my stronger leg. So I relied on it more. And then the right leg sort of has more MS in it. So mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's never been as strong. So one therapist said that we could allow it to sort of allow itself to do better with the exercises. Right. Potentially. Um, you know, another thing to consider too, is that stretching is just one way of a few options to reduce muscle tightness and spasms and spasticity. Um, first of all, stretching, of course, we know is important and newer research has shown that MS-specific stretching for spasticity is most effective if the stretches are held for minutes at a time. So it's not the same as 
regular stretching where maybe you hold for 20 seconds or 30 seconds, but rather you're holding for five minutes or three minutes, seven minutes. Yeah. So much longer time span. And that can be one thing that you try to implement just to see if there's any difference. It's important though, that while you are stretching, you're in a comfortable, completely relaxed position. For example, if you are trying to stretch your inner thigh muscles, then maybe you're laying down on your bed with a bunch of pillows between your legs and you're just fully relaxed. Uh, Versus if you are standing up and hinging forward from your hips with your legs far apart, that's another way to stretch the same muscle group But because you're standing, you're not going to be very relaxed. You're going to be focusing on balance and not falling over. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So making sure that you're in a comfortable, relaxed position for that extended time. Okay. So that's one thing you can try. And then the second thing to remember is that there's massage that you could try. Even just your own hands or someone else could try to massage the areas that you're tight. Or have you heard of something called the stick? No. So it's literally called the stick and there's other variations. If you go to Amazon and search for this stick, you'll find a couple of different options. Essentially it's like a rolling pin, but instead of the middle block being one big piece of wood or whatever material the rolling pin is, it's separated into individual sections that roll separately from one another. And so you hold on to either end, just like you would a rolling pin and you roll out your muscles. So you can do this on the top of your upper leg, your thigh. You could do it on the back of your thigh. Or the hamstring. It's the hamstring that is not giving. Yeah. So the ham, yeah, right. When the hamstring muscles are tight or spastic or contracted, it bends the knee. So stretching the hamstring in addition to rolling with, with the stick or some other similar device, you can do that for your hamstring muscles. Okay. And you can do it for your glute muscles, even though it's your hamstring muscles that are spastic or contracted, it's still really, really important to stretch other muscle groups that are in that area as well, because the muscles work individually, but also at the same time as other muscle groups. So if your hamstrings are tight, I would also suggest stretching your inner thigh muscles as okay. well as the outer thigh muscles. Right, that's where I got the Botox in my inner thighs and my outer ones. Yep. Yep. And then of course the hamstring and even the calf. Okay. And I would even say your glutes as well for the stretching, not necessarily the stick, but going back to what we were talking about with the stretching and the stick, actually, you could do this with both stretching individual muscle groups. So you'd have a separate stretch for the hamstrings and the inner thigh and the glutes and the calf, just like we do in the missing link. And then you can Mm -hmm. also roll with the stick or literally a rolling pin individual muscle groups. So you would roll the hamstrings, roll the inner thighs, the outer thighs, the calf. Yes. uh, That sounds great. I'll definitely try that. And I'll report back. (laughs) Yes, please do. But it does, it's not immediate. So with all the Botox wasn't immediate. Right. And the exercises aren't immediate, which is sort of what you want. Mm-hmm. improvements don't happen immediately. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think it's, it's important to know too, that even though they don't happen immediately, that's okay. Your brain is working really hard. To yeah, try that, was, that was my next question. You would say how the brain maps things out. So is the brain still working on it, even though I don't see 
things yeah. immediately. This, this is, no, what's it called? Uh, neuroplasticity. There it goes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I think I'm glad you asked this because there's a big misconception where people are trying to do a specific exercise. Let's just say mm -hmm. for an easy example, you're sitting down, you're trying to lift your leg up off the chair, like the mm -hmm. seated marching movement. Mm -hmm. A lot of people will sit up tall, will try to lift their leg. And if it doesn't work, if it doesn't lift, they will say, okay, what's the next exercise? That one didn't work for me. But right. yes, even if you have zero movement in the desired exercise that you're doing, your brain is still working. Your brain is still trying to find a neural pathway from your brain to that muscle group that will work. So it's really important that even if you don't have movement, you still do that exercise. It can feel discouraging and almost like, well, why am I even doing this? It's clearly not moving, but it's necessary. That is the only way for your body and your brain to find a neural pathway that does work. And therefore, when it finds one that works, you will be able to lift your leg a little bit higher and over time, higher and higher. So does that apply to all the muscles? Yes. So even in my case with the left leg, it, that's what's happening? Well, neuroplasticity for the most part is usually applied to strengthening because you're trying to lift or move and it's not moving. With that mm. said, your brain is getting a message right now that your leg needs to stay contracted because this yeah. is where it feels safe. It's comfortable. So yeah. over time, your brain can get messages of, oh, it's okay to release. It's okay to relax. She's safe. She's not going to fall over. So yes, mm -hmm. it can work the same for that. Okay, good. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, oh, I had another question. Does the progression of MS stop at some point? Oh, that's another great question. So based on research, we don't know. Uh, there's some people who it does stop just based on their MRIs. It just is not progressing. There are other people where it does continue to progress. So it's very individualized. I don't believe there's anywhere with that blanket statement of yes, MS will stop progressing if you've had it for this number of years, or if you're this specific person, it's so, so individualized. So long story short, we don't know. Um, that's a lot said for MS, you know, we just don't know. Yeah. Um, like I've been in remission for a while. So are there things I can do to stay there? Ooh, that's a great question. Yeah, so exercise yeah. is one. We know for sure that exercising is one way to slow down the progression. There's so much research that says that. And even better if it's functional exercise, not just generic straight leg raises, clamshell type exercises. So that's the one thing that you can do. Getting enough vitamin D is another thing that you can do to try to slow the progression. Nutrition is really important to slow the progression and not smoking. Those four things have been shown extensively in research to slow the progression of MS. It's funny you mentioned vitamin D and I take vitamin D. Um, it was prescribed by my neurologist. And then my primary care physician said, you know, because of my condition, he would prescribe more vitamin D that I could, own, I could even do. I was taking a thousand. I use, but he said, I could do more. I could do up to 4,000. Um, so I said, okay, good, good. Yeah, I'll add more vitamin D. But then 
you know, the next round they took my blood and they said I was at a toxic level of vitamin D. Oh, wow. So then I had to stop. Um, they said, yeah, I couldn't do it until the levels came down again. Mm-hmm. So do you see that, that people over, you know, do vitamins, you know, because more is better. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And it can be, um, it's sneaky because it's easy to get caught in that trap of, oh, everyone's saying more vitamin D. Let me take the highest dose possible. But that's always not the best. As as you have personal experience with, that's not always the best situation to be in. I was surprised that the vitamin D that they keep pushing did that. And also that over-the-counter drugs or vitamins are just as powerful. And you had to take the same precautions that you do in prescribed drugs. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting too, because every neurologist I've ever worked with prescribes different amounts of medications and supplements, you know, whether it's vitamin D or baclofen or, or anything else I have for specifically. Yeah. You know, it's, it is hard to talk to others about it because you might say I'm on, um, 1000 IUs of vitamin D, you might talk to someone else with MS who says they're on 2000. So then you feel like you should go on 2000, even though that might not be appropriate for you. Yeah. So I was so shocked. (laughs) Yeah. So it it is important to talk to your neurologist about it and slowly increase it, whether whether it's, you know, this medication of uh, baclofen or vitamin D, whatever it is, Mm-hmm. upgrade slowly and get your blood work along the way so that you can see how your body is responding to it versus just jumping from 1000 to 4000 yeah. and then realizing like whoa that was too much for me right yeah yeah <laughs> and you had to learn the hard way <laughs> right are there different exercises you would prescribe or activities you know like um, I would love to go back and play tennis yeah, that's a great question. I know there's like um, accommodated tennis and accommodated sports. Yes, there's there's a decent amount of accommodated sports out there. And I love that they exist because they do get you out and about in society doing the sport or activity that you want to do, but you're actually yeah. able to do it versus feeling unsuccessful at it. Right. So yeah. I would suggest what I would say for in terms of activities write down a list of the things that that you want to do. And it could be something like tennis or walking around the block or swimming or Tai Chi. It could be anything. And what you can do is work your way towards that. For example, if you had a goal of, let's just say, well, you said tennis, we'll use that as an example. You can do seated exercises where you're practicing swinging your arm. And maybe you're even holding on to a tennis racket while you're doing that. And you practice, you need core strength, you need, you know, so you can practice that at home, just the upper body piece. And then you can work on the standing piece. Can you stand and do that? How's your balance there? Can you take some steps forward? and backwards while holding on to a tennis racket. So those are the things that I would suggest doing before actually going out to try the activity. But then once you're feeling stronger and like you have better balance, maybe bring a mobility aid with you just in case, but go out to a tennis court and practice things. Yeah, that's a great idea. And, you know, you could even do that with a rollator, put the brakes on. So one mm-hmm. hand is holding onto the rollator. You've got a wide stance and you're hitting with your dominant hand, whether that's your right or left, you're hitting with the, with your tennis racket on the opposite hand. So that's working your way up to that. 
Yeah, no, that's a great idea. I'll definitely do that. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff people- you said in one of your um, lectures, which I had never thought about, was a great notion. You said, if you want to walk, practice where you want to walk. Because right. everyone said, I want to walk in the woods. I want to go back walking in the woods. But who practices in the woods, you know? Practice yeah. in the gym, practice down the hall. So mm-hmm. I thought that was a great observation. Yeah, it's and it's a really important one too. If you get- really great walking just within your home you might have great walking in your home but not out on the sidewalk and it is important for two reasons number one it's important cognitively if your brain isn't used to you walking on sidewalk then even though you have really great walking inside you get out on the sidewalk and your brain freaks out it's going to say, you know, whoa, Jeanette, this does not look like normal. I don't, I'm not used to this. This is scary. And when your brain freaks out, your body freaks out. So part of, part of why I suggest that is for mental reasons, mentally, you need to feel confident in the different areas that you want to be walking. So that's Mm -hmm. one side of it. But then the second side is the physical part where you have to have enough strength to lift your legs higher if there is a crack in the sidewalk or if you Mm -hmm. have to step on or off of the curb. So yeah, it's a two-part strategy where practicing exactly in the situations where you want to walk, sidewalk, cobblestone, gravel, grass, sand, is a mental component and a physical component. Wow. So how would you do that? Just, you wanna get out there and do it. Yeah. So what I suggest in order to actually implement that is first and foremost, use a mobility aid, even if you don't normally use one. I know a lot of people with MS who don't normally use a mobility aid and therefore they never wanna use one, but they can be really helpful for practicing movements in areas that you don't feel as secure. So that could be a cane or a walking stick. It could be a rollator or walker, but go to the area that you want to practice. We'll stay with the sidewalk as an example, bring a mobility aid and just very lightly touch it as little as possible and practice walking forward on that surface with exaggerated movement. So lift your legs more than you normally would if you were walking in your home or on level ground. And then once you're fatigued, especially if you're with a rollator, put the brakes on and sit down. Maybe Mm -hmm. you took five steps and then you sit down, or maybe you walked for a full minute or two and then sat down. But it's important Mm -hmm. to have an opportunity to rest, let your body recover, and then continue. And so that's what I would suggest doing is bring a mobility aid if possible with you. It could be trekking poles and practice walking, then stop and rest then practice walking and stop and rest so that you are physically increasing the mobility from walking on a sidewalk, but you are also cognitively gaining confidence with every step that you take that's successful, your brain is going to get more confident. And instead of seeing the sidewalk as a scary place that you never walk, it's now going to see the sidewalk as, oh, I've done that before. Yeah, let's do it again. So just simply by practicing in that environment, is what can help you gain that confidence mentally, which will manifest mm. physically. You're, if your mind is calm, your body is calm. So that's what we're looking for. I like that. But it's true, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and that happens with everything. Even think about something like test taking. If you're nervous to take a test, you're probably not going to do as well on that test. Or if you're nervous about driving, anytime we're nervous or anxious about something, it manifests physically. So making sure you're focusing, of course, on your exercises and the physical things, the stretches, balance, walking, but don't forget about how you're feeling about it mentally. Do you have any last questions for me? My last question is, yeah, I used to be in a wheelchair that did everything, electric wheelchair. Okay. Then I went to a manual wheelchair and now I have a rollator. You think I can get to just a cane? Oh, great question. So it's hard to say virtually, but I will say it is possible. I've had many clients who were using a walker or rollator and transitioned to walking sticks or trekking poles. Okay. Yeah. to one cane or one tracking pole. The trick is, and I, I feel like this is a significant uh, point to make here because I can honestly say, I don't think you'll ever transition to a cane if you're putting a lot of weight through the walker or the rollator. So the trick is practice walking with good quality with your rollator, with your current device, but work on putting less weight through your arms and through your hands, because okay. if you put a lot of weight through your hands, you're training your brain that yes, you can walk better, but only if you have a lot of weight through your hands. And then if you transition mm -hmm. to using a cane and you need weight, body weight on both sides, because you're used to holding on with both hands, then it's not mm -hmm. going to go very well. So I think it's absolutely possible. First practice on having good walking, good posture with yeah. your rollator, but with putting less body weight through the handles and then okay. progress your way from there. Maybe next would be using the rollator, but just barely, you're not, you're just barely holding on. And then okay. maybe it would be a trekking, two trekking poles, then okay. one trekking pole or one cane. Yeah. And I would use it not all the time because it seems, depending on how you're feeling, you need, you know, different things, you know. Right. Absolutely. You might have a time of day where you're yeah, the weather. Cane. Yep. The weather. Busy. Yep. Fatigue. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. There might, there's many factors that come into play that determine which mobility aid you use. I'm a huge advocate for having that usual? different ones. That people have multiple? Yes, it's normal for people to have a lot of different mobility aids because in the mornings, if you're fatigued and that's not your best time of day, you might use a rollator. But if in the afternoon, you have a little bit more energy, your strength is coming back, maybe you're using a trekking pole or a cane. And then maybe at the very end of the evening, if you are just tuckered out you just cannot do a whole lot your legs aren't working maybe it's mm -hmm. a scooter you know so people have or I would advocate for people to have a lot of different mobility aids and then pick the one that feels appropriate for you based on your surroundings and the way that you're feeling thank you so much that's my last question to bother you with <laughs> awesome that was those were amazing questions I think they're really great because they're so relatable a lot of people will be able to benefit from those questions and answers so thank you for asking them Thank you for answering them. I'm so glad to hear you've gained so much from the missing link and yeah, you're amazing. back to walking, more flexibility. That's great. Yeah. I'm my um, neurologist's best patient because yeah, I've come so far. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, I love yeah. to hear that. Yes. Yeah. No, so thank you so much. You're welcome.
For those wondering, The Missing Link is my online MS wellness program that allows me to teach MS-specific exercises that help with walking, balance, strengthening, and flexibility worldwide. I bring in an MS expert once per month as our guest speaker, in addition to MS yoga and research updates, and perhaps most importantly, accountability. We have this amazing accountability group to help you stay on track with your neuroplasticity exercise sizes to help you reach your goals. For more information, go to missinglink.com, spelled M-S-I-N-G link.com, or you can click the link that is provided in the show notes. And if you have any questions of your own that you'd like me to answer, you can submit them at missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will also be in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's show. I am so grateful to have you as a listener. If you'd like extra resources, such as a video of one of my seated exercise classes, my favorite core exercises, and the opportunity to ask me your questions, head to missinglink.com forward slash insider. That link will be shared in the show notes along with links to my social media handles. If you loved this episode and think a friend or family member with MS would benefit from listening, please go ahead and text or email this podcast to them right now. Sharing this podcast will help me educate and empower as many MS warriors as possible. Thanks again for joining and be sure to tune in next week for another episode of the Missing Link Podcast.